Welcome to our October Empower Women podcast episode, Living Your Best Life. This month, we were joined by Dori Mincer, an author, speaker, therapist, retirement transition coach, relationship coach, and executive coach. In this episode, Dori discussed how to live your best life as you enter retirement and beyond and ways to build well-being into our lives. She also touched on the importance of mindset as we age and live our lives, exploring your sense of self and identity and developing and or enhancing your own voice and vision and being an advocate for yourself. We hope you enjoy this episode. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here and thank you, Glenn, for inviting me. I had interviewed Glenn on a um, a monthly webinar program that I've had now for the past 10 years too. Um, and so what I want to focus on, I, I'll do a little kind of framework and giving a background that I think might be helpful. And then we can kind of open it up for conversations. I've always been interested in people in life transitions and the life transitions have been, you know, kind of the different milestones and transitions I've gone through actually during my life. So I've worked with people in terms of, you know, career, getting married, partnerships, ending marriages, widowhood, um, retirement, and many other transitions um, within it. And I'm going to be talking today some about retirement and about the transition of retirement, because that's really changed a lot now in the 21st century. The little frame I want to give is that there is a paradigm shift that many of you maybe have heard about. But when we're thinking about living your best life, I think it's really helpful to think about it because we're living longer. I know the pandemic maybe has you know, shifted things a little bit, but we're living so much longer than in prior generations. And so by the time you reach the traditional retirement age of 62 or 65, the likelihood is that you might have 20, 30, or even 40 more years of life. And I always like to also think about kind of retirement and the parallels of active parenting. Um, and some of you, you know, may have a family, some not, but I do think that they're parallels of um, sort of thinking about maybe working differently or retiring from work, as well as your kids are more launched or nieces or nephews or whoever, you know, might be um, important in your life of a younger generation. And it's suddenly, oh my gosh, now what's for me? Um, And I love focusing on the idea that during these bonus years, these extra 20, 30, maybe 40 more years, you really have a chance to reinvent yourself. So it's sort of turning this concept of retirement a bit on its head. And people don't even like the term anymore, but it's the term we know. But it's, I think it's helpful to think about reinvention, relaunching, rethinking what's important to you. And I focus on it's a time to learn, grow, and evolve. And for me, well-being and learning, growing, and evolving is part of living your best life. So that's what our focus is going to be on today. So the bonus years, they really are special. It used to be thought that, you know, in when we're younger, we learn, and then we either maybe have a family or we work. And by the time we're, you know, 60, 62, 65, we're at the top of our game. And with the old notion of aging, um, the image that a sociologist friend of mine, Bill Sadler, um, has given me that I love, which is, you know, in the old 
paradigm, you get to the top of the mountain, the top of your ladder, and you put on your uh, safety belt and you grab onto the throttle and you just pray for a safe landing. Now, however, with these bonus years, you know, if you look out, there's a vast horizon out there of a lot of hills and valleys. It doesn't mean, you know, everything's going to, you know, work well. Many people live with multiple chronic illnesses or terminal illnesses, but attitude and mindset make such a difference, developing resilience, you know, recognizing that we've learned over the years a lot from the experiences that we've had. And it's important to, to in a sense, harvest that, to, to value it and to think about yourself that there's a lot you still can give as well as to learn. I'm a real believer in intergenerational um, connections and how important it is. So the whole landscape of retirement's changing, but I'd like you to just think for a moment about the role, for those of you who've worked, the role that work has played in your life, or those of you who've been parents or in some way involved in something that's been important to you, either for pay or volunteering or parenthood, think about the role that that plays in your life. And in general, I'm going to just sort of mention the in general, but you can think about the specific for you. In general, work gives you a reason to get out of bed in the morning or when you have kids, you know, get out of bed in the morning, volunteer work, whatever. A reason to get out of bed in the morning if you're in a relationship, it gives you generally time together or apart. Now, I know this has shifted during these pandemic years with more and more people working at home, but in general, it has provided that. Um, and it also provides sort of self-esteem, a sense of community, a sense of camaraderie, some structure. So in general, active parenting and working provide those things. So what I have found really important in my both therapy work with people and coaching work and just studying positive psychology and adult development is that it's important to think about how are you going to build some of that into your life? Doesn't mean you have to work forever. Um, but a dear friend of mine who's 90, Jan Hively actually says, meaningful work, paid or unpaid through one's last breath, keeps us engaged and active. Um, so it is important to kind of think about not just, you know, it's sort of needing to think about what am I retiring to? So retirement is no longer a destination. You know, when kids get launched, you're still a parent. You know, you still will have some identity of whatever it is that you've done. But it becomes important, I think, to think about who else are you? You're not just your work. You're not just a parent. Some of you maybe have hobbies and interests, and if not, it's start now, even while you're still working, or even if kids are still at home, if you can kind of etch out just a little bit of time, you know, to think about what had to get put on the back burner at earlier stages of life. What are things you've always wanted to do or learn or see? You know, I know travel has, you know, sort of been much more complicated during these pandemic years. And, you know, what I've often, I mean, people are beginning now to kind of do some traveling again, but I have encouraged clients that I've had during these years to do virtual traveling. I know it's not the same, but, you know, there are amazing tours that you can find online and you can visit museums online and there's lifelong learning and, you know, programs, you know, I don't know if you're all local here, but they're 
you know, programs in every, pretty much every state and city here in the Boston area. There's lifelong learning programs at Tufts, at Brandeis, at Regis College, at UMass Boston. And the Osher lifelong learning programs are funded by Bernard Osher, and he's funded them around the country, but there are many others and adult education. But part of living your best life is learning and stimulating your mind and your body. So sort of, the, I guess, the, the part to keep in mind is retirement is a transition. It's a journey. It's not really a destination. And so it's important to think about what you're retiring to. And some people like to say what you're retiring with. So if you're pre-retirement now, develop some of those other interests now and take it with you. Have it be part of you. Start maybe volunteering or start taking an art class or literature, you know, make, you know, make overtures and, and connect to a lifelong learning program. You can take classes and they're, it's also a way of developing community because they all, many, most of them have kind of a lunch and learn program also. But let me, before I go further, just mention a little bit about transitions. Um, and I'd like you all to just think for a minute about transitions in your life. All transitions have an end, kind of a period of unknown, and a new beginning. So think about either the stories about you starting school or, you know, when you started work or in a relationship, a breakup of a relationship. Just think about transitions for you. Do you have more trouble with the end, that period of unknown? Some people also call that the messy middle or the new beginning. Do you have trouble with all of it, none of it? I think it's helpful to think about it because that will help you know a little about how you're going to approach this next stage of life. There, there's no way there, for there not to be some ending because you, you need to kind of make space and give up something, whether it be working or working full time or you know kids leaving. You need to make space for some other things in order to move ahead. And I think retirement, it's sort of interesting. People don't necessarily think that there should be loss and grief in relation to leaving a job, but it's a loss, just like other losses. Again, what I mentioned about what the role you have with work, or if you become empty nest, you know, there's that loss of the community, the loss of sort of maybe feeling like you're needed, you know, that, that you know, you have community. So again, it's important to think about how do you want to deal with that loss? It's often called disenfranchised grief, um, but it is a form of grief. And think about, you know, is it the, the ending, the unknown, the new beginning? And, and that, I think, will help you move ahead. Now, if you think about it, I think we've all been to circus. You know, you can picture the trapeze artist climbing the ladder, you know, holding on to the bar. And then there's sort of a leap of faith. And they fly through the air, hopefully with a safety net, although I know there have been some accidents that happen without safety nets. And then you grab on to that you know, new bar. And the safety nets in terms of this life stage is social supports, finances, health. All of those are important. And there are many other kinds of social supports. But it's important to think ahead. What's the safety net for you? What's going to help you with the transition? And that's where I think, you know, being able, I always say to people, no matter how much or how little money you have, it's very important to talk to financial planners and particularly people 
who have, as I know Glenn does, uh, what's called a holistic approach, which is it's not the number per se, but it's how you want your money to work for you. How is it going to be? How how will it be a good tool to help you have the kind of lifestyle that you want? The other part that I want to add, and then maybe I'll open it for questions before I kind of put more information. Well, there are a few other things I want to say first, um, but I think it's helpful to think about well-being. I've sort of mentioned it in terms of some of the things I mentioned about work or active parenting. Well-being is a combination of connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning. And I think it's important to, you might want to even just not jot it down, connection, engagement, purpose, and meaning. In, in addition, meaningful relationships, positive emotions, and a sense of agency, a sense that you know, you have some impact, kind of a legacy. We live our legacy every day and just the way we interact with people, the way we smile. Legacy doesn't have to be monetary. It's sort of can just be part of who you are um, and how you want to be remembered. But again, keep in mind connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning. And that's tied into what I was saying just a little bit earlier. If you're not working or if you're you know, want to work in a different way, really think intentionally and consciously, how will you build connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning into your life? How will you build joy into your life? How will you build some happiness in your life? Um, how, how aware are you of what some of your character strengths are? There's a, a website that I like. It's uh, Marty Seligman, who's been thought of as the kind of father of positive psychology. Um, there's a, if you Google authentic happiness, and the website is actually authentichappiness.sas, like Sam Alice Sam, dot upen, dot edu. And you sign in with a username and a password, and you can scroll down, and there's some free questionnaires. Uh, many of them are, are kind of fun to take, but the one in particular that I think is helpful is called VIA, or Values in Action, Signature Strengths. I encourage people to take that because if you're still working, you may even want to think about, are you using your strengths? You know, are there ways that it will help you enjoy your work more? And if not, be aware of kind of what your strengths are, and that may help direct you a little into how you want to create things in this next stage of life. You get the top five, and I think there's a place you can still ask for, you know, all 24 of, this, of the strengths. For some people, it's just confirmation of what you know. But I've had many people where it's been this kind of aha experience, like, huh, I, I really hadn't been aware that that's really strength. That's really important to me. I want to make sure I use that strength. And it's part of, you know, kind of helping yourself feel good about yourself. There are shifts that happen in midlife. Um, you know, sometimes <laughs> it happens to me too. I look in the mirror and I say, who are you? You know, or if you're in a relationship, who are we? You know, what's it all about? Um, normal kind of things. I, I'm not such a believer that there have to be midlife crises, you know, although they do exist for some people. But I do think there are these shifts that happen in us. Our definition of success often changes. I don't know that we're ever immune from how people evaluate us, but I think as we get older, there's a shift in what's called locus of control. We tend to 
really rely more on our own sense of this is a job well done or I could have done better or differently. So, so this definition of success begins to change and there's a shift kind of more inward. There's a, a book that I really love to recommend to people. It's called The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul by Connie Zweig, uh, Z-W-E-I-G. Um, because I think there are these shifts. It's not an all or none, but it's not unusual that you know people may be looking more inward in terms of spiritual you know kind of direction for some it could be religion institutional religion for others it's it's more of a sort of a spiritual orientation of trying to make sense of the world um, and the other point i like to mention to people is research um, research says by the time we're 65 it's 30 percent genetics which you know if you have some genetic issues, that is significant. 30% genetics, 70% things you can have some control over. Nutrition, exercising your body and brain, spirituality, meaningful relationships. And again, the connection, engagement, and, and, and um, purpose and meaning. So, uh, you know, it's important to think that there are these aspects we can control. And in addition, if you happen you know, to have the genetic things you have to deal with or illnesses, attitude and mindset really makes a difference on how people cope. There's been studies saying that older people actually have done better coping with the pandemic, for example, than younger people, because we've been through, you know, a lot of the ups and downs of life. Doesn't mean that the isolation and, you know, and the change of things, you know, at an older age, has been easy, but the studies really show that people kind of mid, or we don't know the impact it's gonna have on young kids. There's no question there's gonna be some far reaching issues there, but parents in their 30s, 40s, 50s, having to work from home and juggle, you know, all the things with kids, really very stressful. So that there is a lot of experience. And there's another study out of Yale, Becca Levy, who talks about a positive mindset about aging and life can actually give you seven and a half more years of life. So I think it's helpful to think about that. It's called a growth mindset rather than this fixed one. And I like to think about approaching this next stage of life, you know, thinking about it that you can design it. It doesn't have to be how you're defined by people. You can design it. Now, there's no question there is ageism in our society, um, and, and there are realities of things, no matter how well you exercise and take care of yourself, we all are going to age, and you know, we all eventually will die. But it's the how you live that I think is really important, how you live those years, the vitality of, you know, of really realizing you can do things, and to work against what's often called internalized ageism. You know, internalized ageism is when we are so fearful of getting older and it's it's like a fear of our future self and I, it's very subtle you know it's when you look at somebody <laughs> the little joke that's you know often asked is you see an, an old woman sitting on a park bench and is your immediate response oh that poor old lady or is it oh She's probably been on a long walk and she's just sitting down and taking a little rest. 
know, it's, it's an attitude, you know, that you have. And it is important to confront your own notions and fears. I don't think 70 is the new 50 or 60 is the new 40. I like to say, this is what 70 now looks like. And there's a whole broad range, you know, of how people age. Some of us age better than others, but there are 70% we can have some control over. And I'm, you know, I'm proud to say I'm 76 and I have a husband who's 90. And so, you know, I know from where I'm speaking, in addition to my, my clinical work, it's like wanting to just stay vital and live life as fully as we can. I'm going to stop. Well, I'm going to end this section just with a little quote that I like. Mary Oliver, some of you may know her poetry. She died within the last year, year and a half, maybe two years. I've lost track of time. Um, one of her poems, one of the, um, the parts that I love is she has a quote, tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one precious wild life? Um, it is what we have. And so, you know, we can embrace it and really think about living our life fully in our best life. Or again, we can kind of sit there waiting to expire, which, you know, I don't really recommend. So, you know, it's wanting to kind of learn, grow, evolve, and keep learning and growing involved. So I'm going to stop at this point. I have more to say, but I want to open it up. If there are thoughts, questions, you know, examples of things any of you want to share? I think I like how you gave the example of it's a, a transition. So, and the word retirement is like this old word. Um, I think, and I, I personally see it. You know, I, my husband, who's 55 years old, decided to leave his job um, and he calls it retirement. But the purpose was he has many other responsibilities um, with parent taking care of parents and our children while you know I'm still working so he it's almost really like a reframing conversation for him personally you know and at mm -hmm. some points in his day he'll he feels a little um I think I don't know what the word is but he will pause and feel like did I make the right decision but then I remind him and I say but you have all this other stuff that's so important now um and it really is a transition for him to kind of, he was so identified with everything he did, got up every morning and did the same thing for so many years. And now it's just relearning that there's other things he needs to be doing now or wants to be doing now. Mm -hmm. It's a great example. Yeah. I think the transition framework is so helpful because it, it, it really, it just helps you realize that it's, it is a journey. It's not just a one thing and it's, decided and um, you know many people say you know there can be and there are different phases to retirement there's can be the honeymoon phase where you're just you know really delighted not to be working um, what I often find is that after a year or two if people haven't thought ahead after a year or two I find people begin to say something's missing and I don't know what it is and often it is the maybe not having the connection engagement purpose and meaning um, you know, people say there's just so much golf you can play, you know, or and traveling is, you know, over these last few years has gone, you know, again, with the pandemic a bit by the wayside. Um, but it's really an opportunity to think about what do you still want to do? Um, 
Another frame that I like to use, and actually the title of a book I co-authored is called The Couple's Retirement Puzzle, 10 Must-Have Conversations for Creating an Amazing New Life Together. Although we wrote it for couples, it's actually helpful for individuals also, because most individuals have somebody important in their life. It could be an adult child. It could be a friend. It could be a sibling. Um, so, you know, these are important conversations to have with whoever's part of your life. And I, I like the concept of puzzle because it's a noun and a verb. So you have to puzzle it out. You've got to think about it. And these puzzle pieces are all different sizes. They're not going to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, um, but they impact each other. And I think I mentioned, you know, toward the beginning that finances and health and wellness are two, I think, two of the biggest puzzle pieces because they impact so many other things and other choices in our life. Um, and, you know, that idea of having finances so you have lifestyle options, but also health and how you deal with health is so important. I mean, health may be why you end up retiring when you do. And the other reality is the longer we live, the likelihood is that, and if we're in a relationship or even with siblings or, you know, whoever's important, somebody or other is going to be the caregiver or the care receiver. I mean, it just, it's part of the gift of living longer that it's going to be part of our life. And so some of the puzzle pieces to think about are, again, finances, health and wellness, things like expectations. What do you expect of each other? Um, there can be changing roles and identity. If somebody was working and not working now, and you know, just even literally changing roles in the house, you know, if somebody's around, there are always these, um, there are always the stories about, you know, the wife at home and the husband retiring, or you know, however the dynamic works, and you know, the husband, you know, it's a terrible stereotype, but the husband kind of comes in and wants to reorganize everything. Um, and, you know, maybe the house has been the woman's domain or the wife's been the one, you know, working and, you know, you just have to kind of figure out, again, the who are we to each other. And then there's also where do we live? There's so many different options in terms of where people live, our relationship and obligations to family. Um, there's, you know, the demographics in our country and in the world have changed. So there's marriages, their partnerships, there's blended families, there's children, there's no children, their grandchildren, ours, yours, mine. You know, it's complicated. Um, and so all of these things become important, you know, to think about. Um, social life and community, legacy, end-of-life issues. And as I mentioned before, legacy doesn't isn't just financial legacy. There's tangible and intangible legacies, legacies we've received and legacies we want to leave. Um, this next slide, and I'll just kind of go over it, but I think it's just helpful to kind of think a little about. Um, this is to help you kind of puzzle out what's important to you as you know an individual or as a couple. Like, what have you always wanted to do, but you haven't done? What are your biggest goals and dreams? If you had unlimited money, what would you want to do? What would you want to do alone or with somebody else? What new things do you want to learn? What do you most want to see or experience? What relationships, if any, do you want to repair? 
Where do you want to live? How can you live your life with a greater sense of purpose and meaning? Then there are two, I, I often just ask this one question, but uh, George Kinder, who way back was probably the, the beginning financial planner who was involved in financial life planning, um, has three sets of questions. I, I like the last two in particular. One is, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have five years to live. You're going to be well, but you just sort of don't exactly know when the end will be. What do you want to do? Sometimes that help that can help with some brainstorming of you know kind of what's important to you. The one I even like more, which is powerful, and I want you know I'd like you to think about it now quickly, but then think about it afterwards. If you went to the doctor and you were told you only had twenty four to forty eight hours to live, what would you regret not having said or done? And I think this one's really important because you know I. I don't know that we're ever going to be totally free of regrets, but I think a well-lived life, the hope is that whenever our end is, that we don't have a lot of regrets. And so what I say to people is think about this and then go backwards to now because you don't need to wait until you're told you're going to die or till you retire or whatever the time frame is. Start now thinking about those and beginning to live your life a bit more consciously and intentionally. I remember years ago, I, I spoke at a financial advisors conference, and one of the people afterwards came up to me and said, you know, that question just got me realizing that I don't have a good relationship with my middle son, and I really want to repair that. And I'm going to, when I go home from this conference, I'm going to set up a time, and I really want us to work on, on our relationship, because I don't want to regret it. So think about those things. I think it's important. In addition, let me just see if I can get this. Other things to think about in terms of trying to create your kind of best life. What are 10 things that make you happy? Um, and it's helpful to also think about, you know, looking back over the course of your life, what are 10 things that maybe were like peak experiences for you? What were they? Who was with you? You know, what made it special for you? And that, again, may help you think about, oh, there's this pattern here. You know, this is what I want to try to think about or create for myself. In your reflecting over it, there, there are different ways of doing it. You can kind of take a big piece of paper and make what's called a timeline. Just draw a, a long line on a piece of paper and put your birth year on one end and just put 100 years on the other end, and then divide it into decades. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of different ways of doing this. I, I like a combination of things. I usually recommend that people put decade by decade, what were the world events that really impacted you? Who were the important people in your life? What were some important events that shaped your life? It, it helps you in this kind of reflection of really appreciating a life lived, the ups and downs, you know, the good stuff and the bad stuff, because there's always the good, bad, and the ugly in any of our lives, you know, things we wished we had done different, kind of the road not taken, but things that you have done and accomplished it. I think it's a, I think the, the self-reflection helps us as we get older to really value the wisdom and perspective that we have. 
we can't change events in the past, but we can change the meaning that they give us. We can change the stories we tell ourselves. And there are some stories that really hinder us. You know, if, if the past events lead you to feeling always like you're the victim, you know, that can get in your way, you know, and often being able to, you know, it's, it's like recognizing and recognizing the impact something's had, but what are ways to reframe it that you're not the victim? What are ways to be able to, you know, move forward in a different way? Another book that I love, and it, he's not a clinician, but it parallels the way I've been working you know, over the years with people. It's a book by Bruce Feiler, F-E-I-L-E-R. It's called Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. And I particularly like when he, he says this same thing, that we can't change the events, but we can change the meaning we give them and we can create new stories and become sort of heroes in our own life. He also, the other part I like in his book is he talks about the disruptors, you know, that we experience and the impact of what's what he calls a life quake, sort of like an earthquake, but it's a life quake. And some of us have had really major life quakes. And much of the book is how do people transition out of that? How does it become transformative so that we're not done in by the life quakes? And he has great stories in it, you know, of people who really, you know, nobody asks for things, certain things to happen, but if you're able to find meaning in it and sort of allow yourself to move forward. And it's dealing with, you know, often grief and loss. And, you know, he talks about the messy middle and, you know, the kind of new beginning transformation. I, I really recommend his book. And then, um, so as you reflect, what are three to five things you're proud of and why? What makes you proud of them? You know, sometimes it's so easy to just focus on negative things, but focus on three things that are five things that you're really proud of and why. Helpful to have that in perspective, particularly if there are times when you're doubting yourself or like, um, you know, was this the right decision or not? You know, help yourself believe in yourself. Sometimes we have to kind of coach ourselves and become our own cheerleaders at times, which doesn't mean being Pollyanna, but it means I like the term optimistic realism, you know, being able to be realistic, but being optimistic at the same time. And then if you're thinking about, you know, leaving work, retiring, what, what would be five losses? What are things you're going to miss that you have to leave behind in order to open space to go forward? Or even, you know, the end of the stage of active parenting, what, you know, what are things you're going to lose? But then also, what are five gains, things you're looking forward to? I think just being able to kind of frame it that way is really helpful, you know, to, to let yourself kind of think about those things. I'm going to just go to this other. And it's part like a new, a new uh, identity that people can develop is thinking about yourself as an elder. I personally see myself as an elder. There's a, an, an, an organization that I also like. It's called Saging International, S-A-G-E hyphen I-N-G International. It's free to join. And they have some really good programs. Um, and their programs tend to be on, on this more spiritual side of kind of the harvesting your wisdom and reflecting on your life. But you know, this stage of life is often wanting to give back, living with purpose, 
leaving a legacy. You know, if you, you know, if you have more time writing a memoir, you know, having either kids, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, neighbors, have them, you know, record you, you know, talking about your life. Uh, oral history and a video history is just wonderful. And it's part of a legacy. Um, so there's so many ways to kind of deal with this stage of life. So I'm going to open it for questions and then I'm going to end with, um, well, I'm going to give you the poem first and then I can turn this off and then we can just have questions. So just close your eyes for a minute, all of you. Just take a breath in through your nose, hold it for four or five seconds and then exhale through your mouth and take another deep breath. And as you exhale, just silently to yourself, just say, relax, be present, push away distractions, act, don't react, whatever message helps. But just keep your eyes closed right now. I'm going to read you a little poem that I particularly like. It's by Rilke, who's a German poet. Be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms or books that are written in a foreign tongue. The point is to live everything. Live the questions now, and then perhaps you will gradually, and without even noticing it, live your way some distant day into the answers. Thank you all so much for joining today. And again, Dory, thank you so much. It was such a You're pleasure. Welcome. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. One other thing I just want to mention, and I sort of gave you a little taste of it. I am a believer in um, centering yourself, breathing as a practice. So that little time when I had you close your eyes and breathe, you know, when I was reading you the poem, I really encourage people kind of once an hour or at times of transitions, like a deep breath in through your nose, hold it four or five seconds and then out through your mouth and silently to yourself. You can have any message you want. It can be, be present. It can be relax. It can be, don't react. It can just be uh, push away distractions, feel your inner strength. It centers you and it can make a big difference. It's like counting to three, but I like the breath better. And it can become an important practice that just helps deal with stuff. It, it helps in building resilience to just center yourself. So you're not just reacting to everything that's going on around you, but deciding how you want to respond and if you want to respond and it, you know, it just centers you. I just wanted to add that little, little uh, take, take away. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website, empower-women.com. You are also invited to join us on November 8th for our next event, Managing Your Finances with Lexington's own Carrie Luria. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. 
This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.